Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 16 of Season 5 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today, and hopefully all week if he behaves himself, is Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride. Welcome back, Alan. Well, hello. Thanks for having me back. It feels really weird because I felt like you pulled me in kind of off the bench for the last couple of minutes of the last movie, which feels like it was just a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was. <laughs> both, <laughs> both, in, both, both in reality and also, you know, when, when counting the, you know, the episodes. So, you know, it's just a little over a month and a half ago. Uh, well, I really both, do appreciate having me back because uh, I know – you initially thought, well, maybe I should go through the whole trilogy as seasons one, two, three. And then you're like, well, maybe I should break it up. And I was saying, no, do Die Hard 2 next. <laughs> so in other words, you're another one of my guests who's who's been waiting six months for this. So Yes. No, <laughs> have, well, no problem. I, I, in all reality, I have been on your other movies, which means I at least had the chance to talk a movie a minute at a time with you. I always yes. enjoy doing things. Yes, but and we, we also had the bowfinger. We also had bowfinger five minutes. We did. So, you know. We did for the movie by minute project. But there is something for me, maybe, and I think of it as only a trilogy. I know they made other movies, but the Die Hard trilogy it was one of those just magic one, two, three, and then I didn't need to see another Die Hard movie. I felt like I got everything I would need from a franchise. So I'm very happy to be here for Die Hard Two. Yes, and and hopefully when I get to Die Hard Three, two seasons from now. Hopefully you'll be back then also. Hopefully I haven't pissed you off enough by then, you know, that you'll still want to come back. Well, I mean, it could be the same thing. It could be that I've done something to just <laughs> rub you the wrong way. Oh, we'll have, we'll have, we'll, we have a year to worry about it. So we'll see know. what happens. <laughs> exactly. All right. So minute 16 begins with John screaming like a banshee and ends with John tackling the quarterback. <laughs> the so, quarterback is toast. That's right. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong movie, but right franchise. <laughs> and and pretty much around the same minutes also. So, are you suggesting you know, there may be a bit of a formula at work here? Hmm, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, there, there there are some similarities between between the two movies for sure, but uh, you know we look at them separately because they're mm -hmm. they're. They're all separate classics, you know. I uh, agree. So you know, you can't, you can't really, you can, can, you can try to sit and compare and contrast, but, but why? You know, just enjoy them for what they are. Enjoy each of them on their own. You know, one's in a building, one's in in an airport, and then one's in the city. So okay, mm -hmm. you know, you get they 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 make it uh, you know less cross, claustrophobic each time. Right, and it gets bigger and wider in the scope of the of the setting. Correct. Because, you know, we already know that John can take care of something in a building, and now we'll know if he can take care of something in the airport. And so once he does that, you know, where else can you go? You got to go to the whole city. Right. So Makes sense to me. Of course. Me too. Apparently it made sense to 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 the writers and to Bruce Willis and to, uh, you know, uh, McKiernan, Rennie Harland, all of them. So that's why, you know, 33 years later, we're still enjoying this movie mm -hmm. for that very same reason. So – Basically, we left things off. We left everybody waiting on Friday with John starting to scream, and you know we see him jump, and that's it. So that you know he's like stuck in midair. You know he spent the weekend stuck in midair, and now he's back, and we see the rest of his jump 
where he continues screaming and he lands on Cochrane. Now, my biggest question, and I, I, I posed this question a little bit on Friday also, is like, why the hell is he jumping like this? You know, why does he have to scream? Why? No, jumping, I can understand. He wants to tackle Cochrane. But, you know, the scream is is a little excessive. You know, you don't think about it until somebody asks that question. I mean, when's the last time, unless you're trying to startle somebody or scare them, like my wife will do this to me. She'll every now and then hide behind a door that I'm not expecting, and then she'll jump out and yell something. But that's for startle. You would think if you're trying to sneak up and win the upper hand on an attack, you wouldn't announce yourself. But that's correct. I often think of action movies as you hear sort of that grunt, that and whatever the, the yell, the grunt, the hit. Um, you think about, at least for me, when I was back way a long time ago doing some martial arts, and they talked about how that sense of going, Hah! is you're releasing even more of your energy because you're tightening your, your, your midsection, your diaphragm, and you're focusing, and that's your chi or whatever, and that you're really, so maybe that's just part of it too. You just kind of assume it's a battle cry. Okay, that, that makes sense. But what, what's really interesting here is that John is jumping onto Cochran's back. You know, it's not mm -hmm. as if he's deflecting him from the front or anything like that. Cochran is looking in the completely opposite direction, and he jumps on him, and he grabs him, and the two of them end up falling off of the the. It's not really scaffolding. It's it's uh you know they're they're on a a bridge basically. They mm -hmm. they fall off the bridge and land on luggage. Good thing good thing had luggage there for them to uh, you know cushion their fall. A lot of luggage, a lot of conveyor belts. I will say, and you only notice this when you when you're, when you're doing it like a frame at a time. The angle, the close up where we see the actor versus the long shot where we see the stuntman. It looks like Bruce Willis is jumping to land flat, like he's landing. Like he's going to be in an upright total position. He doesn't look like he's leaping forward, but you see from the long shot, the guy is, you know, knees bent and it looks like he's leaping to go tackle him from where he is. So it's just, yeah. you don't notice it in the speed of film, but when I pull back, I'm like, wait a minute, that's a completely <laughs> different jump angle than we had of the actor. One thing I'll say as we go through this, and if you notice it, I'd like your, your input the direction for how they worked in the angles of the camera or things blocking the faces of the stunt people is so well done. Yes. You hard, like I didn't see where, I mean, I know conceptually who's a stunt man and who's not based on what's happening in that second or half second or split second, but they did a great job through this fight scene of hiding the stunt person from the act. Okay. So, I mean, is it, there, I, I remember hearing this comment somewhere where someone once said that, you know, movie magic, is when you don't notice everything that's that's going on behind the scene, you know. So like the stuntmen are not meant to be seen, <laughs> you know. They're right. they're meant to completely blend in. And if they do their job right, and the director does his job right, and the editor and all that stuff, the idea is, is that it it's supposed to be seamless. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's a a great scene or great moment on one of the documentaries behind making of Raiders of the Lost Ark that I just love. Because there was a you know most movies have a continuity editor assigned that they're the ones who are keeping track of you know, what button was unbuttoned and what was happening. And they take pictures. So when they break to go to lunch, they come back and try to make sure everything looks exactly the same. So you don't see a continuity error. Mm -hmm. And the person they were doing the chase scene during Marrakesh where Marion is being chased. He's being chased. They have the big whip scene, the shoot, the guy with the, the, the sword, you know, that whole Ra Raiders of the Lost Ark chase. And about five or six days into it, the continuity editor came over to Steven Spielberg and goes, we've already shot in this hallway. 
just because you're a different angle, the audience is going to go, we're, we're halfway across town. Why are we back to where we started? Spielberg said, if at this point in the movie, the audience is worried that they think we're back where we started instead of paying attention to what's going on on the screen, then I have already failed this movie. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. And and I can, I can imagine Steven Spielberg saying something like that. And he's totally right. He's totally right. I mean, you slow anything down, you could probably go, oh, this is the same hallway, different shot, just dressed up. Or this is obviously a different time of day. Unless something's just harshly, you know, out of place, you don't notice. Right. Correct. And that's that's the, the beauty of it. That's the way they do it. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I love when, when, when they land on the luggage, you can see all this, like, these these clothes strewn on the ground below them, like a few level, like a level or two below them. You know, from when John, you know, took the 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 suitcase last week, you know, and threw it at uh, at at uh, Miller. So you know, that's just great the way that uh, the mm-hmm. way that they show that to us. You know, because there you go with again, the continuity, the continuity to of, keep that right. It's perfect. The continuity of the fight scene does so well here. I mean, because we're not getting a lot of dialogue in this minute. <laughs> no, no. And then we we see them going up the conveyor belt. You know. Uh, going up where they're going we'll have to wait mm-hmm. and find out you know and then they they uh you know change the shot and we get to see miller again you know vondi curtis hall and he's you know you can see that he's a, a little bit uh scared uh cautious you know i'm not really sure i mean you'd think that a professional soldier would, would or a professional soldier slash mercenary because now he's a mercenary <laughs> you'd think that someone like Miller, who's a professional soldier slash slash mercenary, you know, that he would have nerves of steel. And, you know, this is not the type of character you want to see some humanity from. John, on the other hand, you want to see the humanity. The the, the goons, you know, you don't need to see the humanity on them. So it's a little strange to show him that he's, you know, a little nervous there. And then, you know, he he hears and we, we sort of see through through the, the, the luggage. So we see, uh, you know, the policeman and we hear a voice where someone says uh you say he came in here and flashed a badge and he goes yeah he said to bring you guys back here uh you know like, <laughs> okay. so. well and a part of that i get i get that he's got maybe a sheen on him because he's wearing a heavy coat they're running around they're inside where it's probably a lot warmer than you know he's not normally wouldn't be running around in a chase scene bundled up for the outdoors well it is december but you're right Right, but I mean, even still, you're inside at this point, and he wasn't expecting to have to have a, a foot chase and and then find somebody, you know, was it the the what does he say in Die Hard One? Just a fly in the ointment. That's right. That's you know, and I think that a monkey in a wrench. Quote, nervousness. <laughs> yep, I think part of the nervousness, or maybe what we're seeing is just it's more of the irritation of we have this down, you know, timed. We know what we have to do. This is a mission. We weren't expecting somebody to kind of put a wrench, you know, into this. Right. Okay. That makes sense. You know, and, uh, I, I, I love how we get another quick shot of the, the homeless guy. We, we talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, la- last week, the, you know, the luggage worker, he's actually a guy that was like panhandling outside or something like that, that they decided to, you know, give him this, uh, little, little job of being the luggage guy. You know, he does a nice job with it, you know? Hmm. And, uh, you know, then, then we, we once again see Miller looking at them, trying to figure out what he's going to do. And then the, the shot goes back and we, we get to see, once again, the conveyor belt. 
And I mean, the great way that they show this conveyor belt at this point is, is you know, we see the view of John and Cochran basically of where the conveyor belt is going. It's like, you know, moving up. We don't, we see it from their bird's eye view or from their perspective, you know, and the whole thing. And it's done really well. And then we see, you know, luggage, luggage going through the, you know, the, 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 I guess the pressing machine, you know, the flattening machine or whatever you want to call it. You know, the roller. The roller. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Which I, I want to know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't read the trivia, but I'm pretty sure this was an actual luggage sorting terminal where they shot this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes me think that that roller is more about not necessarily flattening, but preventing oversized luggage, or maybe I don't know, like what? Well, how would that? How would that? Because you don't want to how would that prevent people's luggage? How would that prevent oversized? Because you know, if they have oversized, then it's just going to get stuck. And there's nobody there manning right. it. It's not like you know. It's not like someone's checking and saying, "Oh, this is too big. It's, we have Maybe. to move it." Is this where you need to have a, a you know an airport expert who's done this before, a baggage claim expert? Yeah. I, maybe it is for the softer luggage that might expand a little, but it's still the right size to fit in the air in the hole, and it's just to make sure that it fits. Yeah. yeah it's really weird. it's weird from a movie perspective that you would have something this dangerous on a conveyor belt with luggage. Yes, that's you know? true. And by the way, for a sequel as a number two, it reminded me of like, oh, Indiana Jones did this in number two. We have the uh, the obligatory crushing of somebody with a conveyor that's belt right. and, a, and a roller. Well, it's, it's We're done a little bit differently, but yeah, that one's, that one's you know, the same premise, the, you know, uh, slowly jerking someone back whose uh, turban gets caught or sash. Oh, I think it's far worse to know you're being slowly crushed from your feet to your head rather than yes. at least getting it over with. That's true. That is very true. <laughs> and then they, they give us a great shot. You know, we see actually from the other side of the roller, you know, and then like the roller opens up because, you know, a piece of luggage went through. And now we see uh, we see John's face with, you know, Cochran using his hand to try and push John away. We see Cochran's leg. You know, up in the air, as as mm-hmm. they're you know as they're getting closer to the thing, and then John just pounds him. You know, uh, gives him a nice shot to the face. You know, we already see a little bit of blood on his face, which uh, he would, he would be happy if this is all that happened to him. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, John headbutts him. You know, I've always wondered this. I've mm-hmm. I've heard often that like in certain countries. They they uh, censor headbutting in movies, and I couldn't figure out why. I've seen like like I know on IMDb it tells us like different versions and stuff like that, and they say like you know on the the British version of this they they cut out uh, two headbutts or something like that. You know I'm not specifically talking about Die Hard, but in general, I've heard that, and I, mm-hmm. I've never understood why a headbutt is considered to be more violent. You know I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I've I've no uh, well for me growing up in the '80s, much like you with the '80s action movies. To me, the headbutt is a yeah, you have to have it. Two, you know, the one-on-one mano a mano. That's right. Fight. You know, that's you know why John has to headbutt him because his hands are busy with something else. So you know, just headbutt him. You know, and mm-hmm. then then we see a uh, a, a uh, suit bag. I remember those. Do they still have those? Do people still use them? Yeah. I've got well, I, I I don't know about using because it's been a while since I've been to the airport, but I even have one. I mm. I've got one of these from when I used to do business right. travel. Mm. 
Okay. I remember I had one years and years ago. I, I don't wear suits. I, I can't remember the last time I've worn a suit. Maybe it was at my wedding. Uh, yeah, could be. I don't know. I don't wear suits. That's a long yes, time ago. Yes, I think it was even my first wedding. I don't think I wore uh, at my second my second wedding. No, my second wedding, I didn't wear a suit. Nope, just a button-down shirt. Yeah. Hmm. No, I have one. Um, I've got actually two. One, um, one actually, I, know, I hate to say, but I had to get when my dad passed away. I needed a black suit because I had, or at least a dark charcoal mm-hmm. gray, because my other one was too light, and it, it wasn't appropriate for a funeral. It needed to be a dark suit, so it was a good excuse to get a new one. But uh, yeah, I don't have a whole closet full. Uh, when I was working in the professional world, shirt and tie was about all you were expected to wear, and even that was starting to turn into the polos right. and the dress mm-hmm. casual. Exactly. Or business Correct. casual. No, I do. I do business casual every day. I, I, barely, I, I think I have like three button-down shirts, and that's it. You know, all the rest are are polo shirts, <laughs> you know, or t-shirts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and then we we see another shot of you know getting closer to the to this roller, and then John sees it, and he starts. He's still holding Cochran down, and as he's doing it, we see that 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 Cochran actually looks up and sees where he's going. I, I don't think he's too happy about that one. And <clears throat> no, the impending doom hits him, and he does a good job selling the the the, the yes. sheer panic. And then, because I mean, I would feel the same way. I'd be like, "Oh no!" <laughs> I'd be like, oh. <laughs> "This is not, <laughs> this what, I is not what I wanted." That's right. And then, you know, we see his head go under the roller, and you know, and then his like. Thankfully, they they don't get too graphic here. Later in the week, it's going to get a little more graphic, but they don't get too graphic in this picture here. But we see that there's like an electrical short as his head gets stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And and then John jumps and, and grabs onto like a metal bar that's on the side there, which, again, I don't know why they have that there. Is that like a, you know, a bar that you have to hold on to if you're if you're walking across the, uh, you know. I got the sense that it was a, a hydraulic line or a steam line or maybe even a water line because it's right. really super hot. That's to true. Touch. Um, what, before we get past the head, I was curious about this because the one angle where we get just a very brief glimpse of his scream, and it looks like his head and chin that's right. past the roller, yeah. but it's the rest of his body that's being crushed. Like you can't go any right. further than that. And it's shorting out the machine while it's crushing his chest. Yeah. That that's the way it looks. Yeah, his head does go. His head so goes at under. Least it's not right. popping his, his head. His head does go under the <laughs> the the roller until John uh, jumps off mm-hmm. and then ends up falling down. You know, he's holding on to the this pipe a little bit, and we see all the the steam, and then the the pipe breaks, and then John. Uh, now there's a there is a bit of a continuity error in terms of visual yeah. effects because. The pipe starts smoking as if he's broken it before yes. it actually breaks. <laughs> it's it's from his his it's from his it's weight. Like, it's his sheer weight. Is somebody doing. on one side? <laughs> well, but unfortunately, they they give us the point of another uh, view so we can see it's the, truly the actor hanging there to give us a little bit more intimacy that it really is Bruce Willis, yeah. not a stuntman. So we already got the smoke too early from the side. Then on the angle looking down where you see the luggage below him and he's looking over at the the, the, the the body, the smoke is still coming in, but the bar hasn't broken yet. He's yeah. still hanging perfectly That's right. fine. And, I mean, it's, it's very convenient then, that he has a luggage uh, cart underneath him. 
Oh, yeah. You know, to break his fall. Well, the luggage helped break a lot of falls through this fight scene. Yes. Yes. It's a good thing people had a lot of uh, soft luggage. You know, filled with pillows. People were just taking pillows on their trip. You know, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know people who cannot sleep on hotel pillows. They'll pack their own home pillow that they'll have. I'm like, you're going to spend that much of your room in your bag for a pillow? Come on. I don't. I can't understand. Okay, I... I actually do that, but 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 that's on you know day trips. Oh, so I'm then I just put it in the car. The beach and we're that's what I'm saying. It's car. in the car. I'm talking about flying. No, I don't. I don't fly with it. No, that I don't do. But but when I'm going on a you know even a trip for two three days, you know uh, around the country or something like that, you know, I I take my pillow. You know, my daughters like it because that on 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 the drive they have my pillow. You know. <laughs> Then they fight over they fight over who gets it. So, and then uh, John screams as he's falling and lands uh, perfectly right in the 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 large bag of of the large uh, uh, the the large baggage uh, bed cart. The bin, <laughs> yeah, bin of luggage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then like he, you see that he shakes off his hand. He shakes his hand though. You know, because yeah, his hand is hot yeah. from from touching the pipe, but only one hand. The other one's fine. Right. Bo- yeah. Only one got burned. <laughs> what I what I did like about the continuity of the drop and fall, because there's an angle where you see him landing in, and then it cuts to hit the actor literally landing. The face and movement of the body actually matches perfectly, as if it could have been Bruce Willis who chose to do this stunt. Yeah. It looks really really good. Yeah, and also. You know the 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 color of the the baggage is the exact same. Also, you, mm-hmm. know, you have this tan bag that his head lands on, and when he gets up, it's right next to him there. Yeah. So it's, you know. Well, almost all is save for that one little tiny jump I mentioned at the beginning, where the body angle is a little different. Everything about this fight just matches yeah. and matches with the minutes before, like you already talked last week, and will continue to match as we move forward. Yeah. And then, uh, thankfully, John hears Miller, <laughs> you know, because there's not any, there's nothing, there's no noise around there, you know, and he 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 hears and, and he hears Miller scampering away, and he looks over and sees him sees him running, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know they the, the typical movie thing, they see him look over, and you know he sees uh, uh, four bikes just just sitting there, waiting for somebody to to want to use them, and I love how it says on the mailroom. You know, like, why do they have a mailroom in the luggage compartment? You know, in the, in, in the you know, it's sorting not like they're area. sorting mail. That, that's right. right. They're not sorting mail here. So it's very strange. And and we, we had see a sign for, you know, one of the fake airlines in the background, Windsor Air, mm-hmm. which, which I, I like also. Um, I think they, they, they do that really well. So we see bicycles. So, you know, I, I couldn't let you go without start quizzing you on things that, uh, you know, to see what, what you know about things. <laughs> see, come on, Alan. here I am thinking you're going to come up with, like, Samsonite, when was luggage a thing? And maybe you've done that already. That's maybe it. I was like, what are you going to do I haven't, but this? I didn't see I didn't, I, I didn't see a label that said Samsonite, so I couldn't do it. If I would have seen a label, I would have done it, you know. So. Okay, well, hit me up, buddy, because I did not All expect right. bicycles. <laughs> There you go. So, first of all, do you know any other names for a bicycle? Beyond bicycle? Yes. I said other names. 
nope. <laughs> wait a minute. Let me. You're catch. I'm serious. You do this to me every time. You put me on like. Wait a minute. I'm not a dumb person. I swear. <laughs> but I, I have no idea. <laughs> have well, there's no one idea. of them. There's one of them that you for sure know. Another name for a bicycle. Come on. Bike. Yes. There you go. There you go. You got that. One. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm waiting for you to say something like a, a duopoly machine. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, we, we will get there. We will get there. So first of all, it's also known as a pedal cycle, a push bike, or just a cycle. Okay. Okay. Do you know when the bicycle was invented? Oh, long, a long time ago. Um, In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, I do know, like, from having seen lots of lots of old 19th century pictures that the original bikes were, like, really ridiculous, super big front tire, a little small rear tire. Oh, I'm going to say 18, late. Well, Robert Redford rode one, and they had the anachronistic song in um, uh, Bush Cassidy. Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. So I'm going to say, like, the late 1800s. Range raindrops are falling on their heads, right? Um, yes. No, eighteen seventeen. Oh wow, pre Civil War. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, a, a a German inventor named Baron Karl von Drais um, invented what was known as a dandy horse at the time, which was basically <laughs> he took two wheels and put them in tandem, and that he is considered the father of the bicycle, even though it did not have pedals at the time. Okay. okay. The, the The idea was is that you you would sit on a wooden frame supported by two inline wheels, and you would push the vehicle along with your feet while steering with the front wheel. You know, okay. Which makes sense. Then in uh, eighteen thirty nine, so someone else, a man named Kirkpatrick McMillan, uh, created the first uh, mechanically propelled two wheeled vehicle. And uh, what what's really interesting is is that he's also the very first person to get into an accident on a bicycle. <laughs> in 1842, there, there there's a newspaper article in the a Glasgow newspaper that he got into an accident, uh, bestride a velocipede. That's what they called uh, bicycles back then, with the large. Um, the large wheel in front and you know the, the smaller wheels in the back um and he knocked over a little girl while he was driving or while he was riding and he was fined five shillings which today is about 25 pounds mm. yeah okay then in the 1860s two frenchmen uh pierre michel and pierre l'element or whatever i i'm just pretending to have an accent with these, you know, they added a mechanical crank drive that had pedals uh, on it in order to, to, to help it uh, move along. In the 1890s, uh, they, someone invented the uh, coaster brakes, which basically, from my understanding, is that that's when, you know, the, the, you just move the brakes backwards mm -hmm. in order to, to stop them. Um, then uh so during the 1800s it was very very popular they created cycling clubs in the 1870s 
um, because you know the, no one had cars yet, so it was either using a horse-drawn uh, vehicle or uh, getting a bicycle. What do you think the most numerous model of any type of vehicle is as of today? Meaning, you know, you you go to you uh, if you have a car, right? So mm-hmm. let's say you have a Honda Accord. So the, so then, how many Honda Accords are there? So whatever. So the the question is is what type of vehicle do they mass produce the most in the world these days? The exact same design. I'm going to guess the bicycle. Okay, yes, but what, what, okay. <laughs> well, you said what kind of vehicle? Yeah, okay. All right, on... all right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's it, it's a a bicycle known as the Chinese flying pigeon, which currently they have made over 500 million of them. Okay, and Chinese just... flying pigeon. Yeah. I need to look at what one of these looks like. I don't know what a flying pigeon looks like. <laughs> now, for the what do you think the most produced car is these days? In the world? In the world. Oh. Again, I'm talking about the the make uh, of the car, not not just the brand. You know, I'm not saying Honda, oh, right, I'm not saying Mercedes. Toyota, I'm not saying Mercedes. I'm saying the actual you know design of the car. I, I was going to say maker because when you say make, that's who makes it. Mercedes. Okay. No, the, the answer. Model, okay. The, the the model. The the first of all, the the company is Toyota. Okay. Okay. The Toyota Corolla. They've they've uh, so far since they started making them have made four forty four million uh, Toyota Corollas. Okay. okay. And I compare that to the number of bicycles more. I just said. Five. Okay. They have five hundred million of these flying pigeons. Compared to 44 million, you know, of uh, the car. So that's just amazing to think about it. So I just looked up the flying pigeon, I guess, is kind of like the the style of the bike, which is very similar to the kind of more adult riding bike versus like, say, your BMX style bike when you're a kid, your little off-road bike. This is more of like the adult that would probably be have been turned into like the 10-speed, right. the first version before they started becoming much more sport bikes. And so this is, I'm very familiar with what this style looks like. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that I was reading about them is that basically not much has changed in the look of a bicycle over the last uh, 200 years. You know, the bicycle looks the same. It's pretty much the same design. They're, they're obviously they've, they've added things here and there to it over the, over the years, you know, as, as I mentioned, but, you know, in general, it's the same basic thing. You know, you get two wheels with a, in a frame and you pedal and that's it. I mean, there are, uh, there's more than a billion bicycles that, that, that are currently in use all around the world. I mean, there are countries where the, 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 lar- the, the greatest mode of transportation is bicycles, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's also, honestly, I would have thought that number would be bigger higher because there's what 10 billion people on the planet uh okay that's true but i don't know <laughs> still i guess 10 percent of the people own a bike okay and i guess it gets handed down uh, you know from 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 now i do know they've made a lot of cool um tech advances in the sense of the carbon fiber frames make them really light and then they've got the e-bikes now which i think are really cool um, there's a lot of, but it's still, you're right. The basic premise is two wheels and a handlebar and a seat. That's right. <laughs> Very much. 
One of the things I wanted to mention, though, this was I think is really cool. The very first bike you said had no pedals. It was just two wheels and a seat, and you moved the handle, but you had to use your feet. Mm-hmm. There's a like, trend. Like in I don't the know if it's over there, but there's a trend. Like, yeah, like with the Flintstones. There's a trend here <laughs> to not put training wheels on a bike because the problem with training wheels is it convinces you that you don't have to learn how to hold your balance. Oh. So they're building new trainers. Where it's the same size as a little kid's bike, so it's for a little kid. It's two wheels, a steering wheel, a seat, and no pedals. Wow! So it forces you to use your feet. But what happens is, when you start maybe running faster, you take your feet up off the ground for a second. You start to learn the balance rather than rely on the training wheels, and it teaches you feeling that balance before you ever use, you know, pedals. Wow! And it's like, why did we not think of this? And then here we are. Well, the first guy who ever invented the bike thought of it. <laughs> Well, it's because he didn't think of all the rest of the stuff that people do use on it. You know. Right. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what the land speed record is of of uh, on a bicycle? Like how fast is the fastest someone has has been recorded? You know, on a bicycle. Going downhill with the hurricane to your back. <laughs> I'm gonna guess fifty fifty five miles an hour. Eighty two point eighty two miles per hour. Oh my. God. Okay, that's where you start saying to yourself, please, I don't need my front tire to come off right now. That's correct. You start freaking out. That's correct. But that, but that's only if you look at it from, you know, someone doing a flying start. So they have a thing that's called, you know, motor paced records. Okay, where you basically have something in front of you that, that, that helps with the wind and therefore you can go even faster. Okay. Oh, yeah, because you can use uh, your drifting or drafting. Right. Yeah, your drafting. Okay, so mm-hmm. you're going to be completely shocked about the, the record on that one. 207.9 miles per hour. <laughs> There's Okay, no, that's a lie. There's no I, lie. I'm, I'm telling you what it says here, you know, that, that uh, it was – it. Was somebody being pulled and they were just on the bike? They were towed. They were towed to 100 miles per hour, and then they let it, let it fly, and they ended up getting all the way to 207.9 miles per hour. This was done in 1996. Were they falling out of an airplane? <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> this was done in 1996 by a guy named Bruce uh, Bursford. So I don't know. It's it's pretty amazing. All right, I mean. I'm not going to say you're lying. <laughs> Wikipedia is lying. Wikipedia is lying. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to wrap my mind, seriously, around being on a bicycle going fast enough to achieve flight on a commercial airplane. <laughs> uh, Which gets us back to the airport. There you go. We're <laughs> back in the airport. All right. We, we are back here with, with John, you know, trying to figure out what he's going to do with Miller. You know, and, and this scene is very reminiscent from the first Die Hard, where he looks over and sees, you know, the the the, the Christmas gift wrapping. You know, it's the same idea. Uh-huh. It's like, what am I going to do now? And then the 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 camera pans to the side, and then we're like, hmm, what's he going to do? What's, mm-hmm. what's the next on his? It, it's the same. It, it's it's the exact same camera yes. movement. We see the actor look at something. The camera doesn't like go to his point of view. The camera literally turns on its sw- a swivel on its head as if we're now going, what are you looking at, John? Oh, we'll turn our head. Oh, that's what you're looking that's at. That's right. Same premise. <laughs> Correct. And then we, we see Miller running away, and he, he runs pretty funny also. He leaves 
the the uh, baggage area, and we we see you know baggage carts being moved in front of him, you know being pulled, and then we see John, uh, you know, on the bike. He he doesn't, you know, he's he's side sa- uh, side saddling the bike because he's only on one side there. <laughs> right, he's got one foot on a pedal, and he's using the right foot to push, almost like a skateboard version right. or, or a scooter. That's version. right. Like yeah, a scooter. Yeah. And then we hear a bell. And then <laughs> I love I love that. I don't think there's a bell on here, but the fact that they put it as if he's like, hello, ding ding. <laughs> it's, it's that little touch that just that's why these movies are so good. Yeah. Um if you look back, no, there is no bell on the mailroom. The one with the mailroom, there's no bell. You know, at, right. at second fifty. You know, when when it's moving, it's hard to tell, but it, it, we do see that it is the mailroom one, and we don't see mm-hmm. a bell, but it's possible that it's, you know, obscured, that it's on the side there. It's possible. It's possible that somebody in the sound design said, you know what, let's just add a bell right. here. It's very possible. That's what it was. <laughs> but it works. It, it really works. does. It works because of the kind of movie that we got used to in Die Hard 1. That yes, it's an action movie, and yes, there's going to be some violence, obviously, but there's also a playful yes. element with John McClane as mm-hmm. the hero. He's He's got a playful side, and that little touch works. It wouldn't work if it was Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s. No. It wouldn't have worked for Stallone either. Um, Sylvester right. Stallone, but it would. It worked here because John McClane was a different kind of action That's right. hero. You're 100% right. So now I'm going to ask you the next thing I wanted to, I was curious to know if you, what do you know about bicycle bells? <laughs> we already talked about bicycles, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the bells. A little bit. Don't worry about it. Not, It's not as much. I don't know anything about bells, except that I never had one. I had friends who did, but growing up, that was the thing that you could attach to your handlebar and a little mechanical bell where you'd have to use your thumb and as you move your thumb, it would cause it to make the bell sound. Um, I do know that that same kind of mechanical bell was something that Gwarp in the sixth Harry Potter movie, or fifth fifth Harry Potter movie or Harry Potter book, wanted his own little ringy bell. But that's about okay. all I know. All right. When when do you? Th- I do know the Wicked Witch would bring hers when she came to go get Toto. <laughs> that's right. And so, when do you think the uh, the bicycle bell was patented? Well, well, hold on. You're calling it a bicycle bell, so that means it has to be after the bike, unless somebody patented a bell that then somebody re-engineered for a bicycle. Nope. It is patented specifically to be a bicycle bell. So I'm going to say somewhere in around 39 or whenever you said that guy got in the first accident. No, it's 1877. Yeah, I guess when they started having all the clubs, you know, that, that people were starting to realize that they need to you know, ah. ring ring their bell. So a bicycle bell is a percussive signaling instrument mounted on a bicycle for warning pedestrians and other cyclists. The bell is a required piece of equipment in some jurisdictions, and they're usually mounted on the handlebars and are thumb activated, as you mentioned. That's, um, and mm-hmm. the way that it works is, is it's a, a thumb operated lever that is geared to rapidly rotate two loosely slung metal discs inside the bell housing. These discs repeatedly rattle and strike the bell to produce a sound not unlike that of an electric bell. All right, some some of these bells, particularly ones that that are, that uh, have the pinging sound, work poorly in rainy conditions because water drops clinging to the bell damp the vibrations which produce sound. 
<laughs> now, did you know that it was? It's been used in some very famous uh, songs by some uh, famous music musicians. It's used as a musical instrument. Um, okay, so the ones I would know because I think it's related to the song. I'm hoping Queens. Um, that's right, bicycle, bicycle race or bicycle race. Bicycle ride. Yes, that's bicycle race. And I think. Do they use it in Van Halen's ice cream? I don't know. Band? That that that's not the the other one. That's not on the list here, but it's possible. But the other one is okay. is a Beach Boy song. You still believe in me? Ah, so, okay. Yeah. And then we see John tackling Miller, and you know he lands in the one of the luggage, uh, like more, more luggage. luggage. There you go. <laughs> it's a great. Yeah, it is. Do you yeah. see what the bike does when they hit him? That bike goes up end and nearly goes with him, but then falls yes. back toward camera. Yeah, it's a good thing it wasn't, uh, you know, Bruce Willis there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, uh, and, for the minute that I have, it ends just as we're not sure where the bike's going to land, but it definitely has come back down and is leaning as it was right. going to Now, did you camera. see, if you, if you stop it at second 57, you see Miller's face just in pure terror. Mm -hmm. I, I love that shot. It's just a great shot of his, you know, he, he looks like his eyes are about to pop out of his head, you know, by the way that he's. Yeah. It almost is a yes. horror movie turn and look like that's when you're supposed to have Jason or the chainsaw yeah, not John guy behind him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it is definitely not just surprise. It is horror surprise. Right. It's like, ah! like, I did not expect to see somebody coming in That's with right. feet on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, anything else for this minute before we get into the script? No, that was a, a pretty good deep dive into what I thought was a really well choreographed fight scene. Yes. So the script is entirely uh, descriptive of the scene, but I'm just going to read it off because it's really cool the way that they're right here. So it, it says, McLean leaps like Tarzan to the bottom of the higher of the higher empty return belt. The momentum swings him right towards Cochrane, who fires once more before McLean, McLean's kick nearly takes off his head. He loses the gun, but Jesus, these guys are tough. And now Cochrane leaps up and grabs McLean's belt and clothes, and they're both hanging. Suddenly, they're both too damn high to get off. McLean, half on the belt, half off. He fends off the other man and sees up ahead the belt going through a hatchway, a hatchway with virtually no clearance. McLean punches Cochran again, again, but the guy is going to kill them both one way or another. McLean kicks him again, again. Finally, his grip loosens. At the last minute, McLean jumps to a thick conduit, and then Cochran gets jammed into the hatchway headfirst. Mm. The conduit breaks free from its molly bolts, but doesn't drop. And three feet away, the guy screams, and then his neck snaps, and his body twitches and jerks, mm. and the mechanical jams, smoking. McLean winces as blood splatters and then reacts as, as the 20-foot-tall conduit pipe creaks, bends, topples. He rides it down. Uh, then it says, uh, near the entrance, led by the luggage guy, two airport cops uh, run in. Miller, panting for breath, rubbing his eyes. He sees their approach, starts to run. He races down the long aisle, past cartons of freight, starts to smile. There's a door just ahead. He's going to make it. He's going to make it. Suddenly, a ching-ching sound. <laughs> Makes him turn. It's the ching-ching of a bicycle with John McLean on the back. McLean dives out of the saddle like the Lone Ranger and takes Miller down. As the bicycle flips over, McLean gets to his feet first and fire, and finds a gun in his face. All right, well, 
that that sort of goes into what we're going to talk about uh, you know tomorrow but i i still like the it's very descriptive i mean they call him the lone ranger come on right <laughs> that's just really cool <laughs> who uh, and i didn't look but who gets the a writing credit for this script uh d'souza steven d'souza so every monday we have a segment called mclean monday where my guests will give their top five uh bruce willis performances uh, so, Alan, why don't you start with number five and work your way up? I was glad you wanted to go uh, my five to one, because that's how I always like doing my lists. Now, I, I've got two. That's the way I've always done it. I've got two in my number five, because I don't know if you had a rule about kind of a, a um, oh, it's not a compliment. What do you call it? A um, When there's multiple characters, actors, it's all an ensemble. I didn't know if you had an issue against, because it's not really a Bruce Willis movie, but it's an ensemble movie. No, it's Bruce, Willis, it's Bruce Willis performances. Okay. So. so for me, and I will tell for the audience, it was tied if we had to limit it, but Pulp Fiction would be my number five. But if I couldn't okay. do an ensemble, it would have been 12 Monkeys. Uh-huh. So okay. that's my honorable mention, 12 Monkeys. So number five, Pulp Fiction. Number right. four, un- Unbreakable. Very good. I, I, I love Unbreakable. Number three, and I hated going with the same director, but I really love The Sixth Sense. That's my number three. So yeah, I, knew, I knew you were going there when you said that. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong, he gave us some really good movies, but he's given us some really stinkers. But The Sixth Sense may be, it, it's hard for me to say whether that or um, Signs is my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, mine, mine by, by, by far is Unbreakable. Unbreakable is also my favorite superhero movie because it's, it, it creates a superhero that is possible in our world. Right. Oh, totally. Totally. I think people miss that. I think that was before Marvel really got off the ground. And I think people missed what they were watching. (laughs) It was way ahead of its time in the sense of the the superhero. Um, for me, number two, which I've got a cool story around it, but, uh, if we have time. The Fifth Element. We always have time. Okay. I'll explain that in a second because I got to go with my number one. I would not be a Bruce Willis fan, and I would not be a fan fan of this franchise were it not for me sitting in a movie theater, 1988, not even knowing the, uh, the seeing the actor on the poster because everybody started panicking that Bruce Willis was going to have another dud on his hands, but Die Hard. Okay. My number one favorite Bruce Willis movie, it must be watched mi- minimally once a year at Christmas, but can be watched anytime. <laughs> okay, that is completely now, with, fair. With the fifth element for the audience, just for the fun of it, because it shows you perception, and sometimes you shouldn't let your initial feeling of a movie stop you from maybe going and watching it again. I don't know what I thought fifth element was going to be. The very first time I saw it, I hated it. I thought, what did I just really? waste my time watching? I, I I don't know if I was in a wrong mindset. I don't know if it was the I was expecting a different movie. And then for whatever reason, don't ask me what, because it wasn't like somebody pressured me. I don't remember a single person saying, "Oh, well, try it again." I just decided on my own, I'm going to watch this again because maybe I missed it. And the second time, I was like, "Oh." I get it. I see what's happening now. I see the style of the comedy of the writing. I see what's, and then by the third watch, I was like, I could watch this movie 
anytime. And in fact, it's one of those go-to <laughs> movies. If I can't figure out what to watch, hey, let's put the fifth element in. It's ultimate rewatchability. So much fun. Great lines, great scenes, great action. Love it. All right. Very cool. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the fifth element also. Just it's you just have to know not to take it seriously. But the, the special effects are just amazing there with what they do. Everything about again, I don't know what I was thinking. It's brilliant. It's it's. I get mad at myself that I may have never gone back to watch it a second time. That I had convinced myself it was crap, and I just it's amazing how. And I've had a couple of movies like that in my lifetime where. The first watching, I'm like, oh, come on. This is supposed to be a good movie. And then you go back and go, oh, oh, oh. And then it gets better and better, and I love it. It's it's great. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So, Alan, you want to tell people where they can find uh, Alan Sanders these days? Sure. If it's the first time you're hearing me guesting on one of uh, Movie Rob's shows, uh, we do a podcast and had for a while called the, the Wilder Ride. We were looking at movies of Gene Wilder one minute at a time, at least for seasons one and two. My buddy Walt Murray and I did that. We did Young Frankenstein season one. We did the great Western Blazing Saddles for season two. And I will tell you, they are evergreen. You don't have to have said, oh, well, that was four or five years ago. Well, I missed it. No, no, it's still out there. Go out there. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. We turned it into a talk show for the next two years. A lot of fun. Once again, those guests, pretty evergreen. So all worth listening to. Just go to thewilderride.com or just look for The Wilder Ride on your podcatcher of choice. All right. Very cool. And I am, am uh, I can vouch for the fact that you can watch it. You can listen to it now, you know, a few years afterwards, you know. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, or you can find me on my website, movearoundminutes.com. So, uh, Alan, hopefully you, you still want to come back in tomorrow. Ah, well, you know what? We got to find out how this fight turns out. We know the cops are looking for who let them backstage. There's a, there's a lot happening here. We can't just leave it hanging. Okay. All right. So until tomorrow, yippee ki If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and